your body is very much connected and one thing affects another. Considering that what you know the types of clients that you see and the types of patients that I see tend to be more chronic in nature I think what I'd want to leave them with is to to encourage them not to stop looking for answers because there can be healing out there and it may not always be complete healing this side of eternity you know but there there is potential for people to be better than what they are so it, it takes work and it takes searching sometimes um, and sometimes that's years and so I would I would say let's let's leave people with permission to keep looking for answers we are two unique female professionals and friends that have come together to have meaningful conversations and a little fun along the way welcome to the arable podcast where curious minds grow I'm your host, Jenna Mountain. And I'm your other host, Kimberly Galindo. Okay, today I have the absolute delight of introducing a friend from um, a little while back. Uh, Jason and I met um, in our personal life, um, uh, in home group together as a young married couple. Um, Spent a few years of our life doing life together in the greater Dallas area. Um, And then, you know, life happens, moves, um, careers, things like that. And so uh, as of today, we don't um, interact as much as we did, but I was so excited when we found each other on Facebook and professionally got really interested in what the other was doing because our worlds um, do actually interact and collide quite a bit uh, professionally. So super excited about today's conversation. Um, uh, Jason has such a really cool specialty and uh, professional accomplishment. So Jason, welcome to the show. And I just want to let you kind of introduce yourself professionally, profession, uh, personally, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, and tell us a little bit about what you do. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's good to be here. Um, yeah. It's, uh, Jenna and I were talking, I think it, I don't know, I guess it's been, has it been 10 years or close to yeah, it? About since, a decade. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so I am, uh, I'm a physical therapist. Um, so I'll start with my personal life. I'm, uh, married to my wife, Elizabeth. We've been married 13 years and, uh, we have two kids, eight and five, a daughter and a son. And, uh, we currently are living in the Fort Worth and in the Keller area of Fort Worth. So the North Fort Worth Alliance area. Um, and so professionally, um, I have a, um, right now it's a, a more of a concierge style, uh, physical therapy practice where I go to the patient, uh, to their homes or to their place of business. But, um, part of that is because of COVID. Um, I didn't want to pay rent during COVID. So, uh, right now it's going to stay mm-hmm. concierge style. And then at some point I'll, I'll likely have a space. Um, so that way, uh, you know, I'm not limited to limited to just who I'm willing to drive to. Um, so, uh, yeah. um, what I do is, uh, you know, I, I feel like a lot of the times I'm limited by the term physical therapy. Um, so when people ask, you know, what do you do? Uh, there's a perception that comes with physical therapy and that's not what I do most of the time. So, um, so if you're thinking, you know, stretching and strengthening, uh, that's not really a big part of what I do. So I tend to uh, see a lot of patients that are chronic pain, consistent pain, persistent issues that have 
uh, you know, tried a lot of conventional approaches and that just didn't work for them. Um, and those, those are the types of people that find me and that I, I most enjoy working with. Um, a lot of my training uh, has come from an organization called the Institute of Physical Art. Uh, they are based out of Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Um, and that's really where a lot of my treatment paradigm comes from. And we can get more into that here in a little bit. But the other organization that I've done a lot of training uh, through is the Baral Institute. And what they do is uh, something called visceral manipulation. So visceral being organ specific. Um, so all of our organs have different fascial components. And so I work with that. And there's a lot uh, that goes into that and uh, what we see in the musculoskeletal world. So uh, that's the brief version of that. I love that so much. I I can't remember. I don't know if it's both or if it's uh, the latter. Am I going to say this right? Baral. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I remember when we were in home group together, um, I remember you starting to share, there's this very special type mm-hmm. of physical therapy practice that I'm, probably going to get into. Like, I, I think I'm going to go do this training. And yeah. I, I just remember seeing the passion oozing from you and all over your face when you were sharing about it. I had no idea what you were talking about. Yeah. I mean, I was yeah. just completely over my head at the time. Um, but I remember going, gosh, he's going to, this is something really neat and cool. And I, you know, I think it was, um, contagious, um, uh, how excited you were. Um, can you get into that a little bit more? Tell sure. us a little bit more about the, the kind of this, the special approach and what you do. Yeah. So um, we'll start with the Baral stuff since um, you were asking about that. So that was, that was probably around 2011. I think that's mm-hmm. when I took my first course through them. I was exposed to that kind of work before that. I was actually exposed to it when I was still on rotations in school. So that's what even got me knowing that that was out there. Um, so what it is, is, you know, all of our, well, let's start with fascia. Um, our bodies have a type of tissue. It's a type of connective tissue called fascia. It's, it's continuous throughout our whole body. We have different layers of it. So a lot of times I'll tell people, you know, think of an orange and you peel that orange and there's an outer layer, that white layer that's around the orange. And that's like the layer of fascia we have just underneath the skin. And then when you peel the orange, there's these little divisions that make the different slices of the orange. And that's like the deeper layers of fascia uh, that can go in and between muscles, divide muscles. Um, but we also have fascia that surrounds our organs. And those organs have ligaments, and those ligaments are made of fascia that attach them to different structures. Sometimes that's other organs, sometimes that's other muscles or um, bones. And those can get tight and they can get restricted. So our bodies are meant to move. Um, and when there's not movement, that can lead to uh, us changing the way we move, which can put more stress on some of our musculoskeletal structure, structures. So for example, somebody that comes in with low back pain, in my world, I have to filter out what's the cause of that low back pain. And oftentimes, you know, in, in a conventional treatment to back pain, there's a lot of core exercises. There's maybe there's some hands-on treatment to the joints. Maybe there's some hands-on treatments to the tissues, but then that's about it. And nobody really thinks about that there's a front side to the back. And so all of your intestines, your liver, um, those are things that attach in a lot of ways on the front side of the back. And so that can lead to low back pain or musculoskeletal issues such as hip pain. 
Um, and so I do a lot of work with that. Um, and so what I find in that kind of work is that patients that have uh, longstanding issues that haven't resolved, that there can often be a visceral component. Uh, so Jean-Pierre Biral, he's a French osteopath. Um, he's, he's the guy that created a lot of this. Um, he would tell you that at least 70% of musculoskeletal issues have a visceral component to them. That doesn't mean that you can't get better without having the viscera treated. It just may mean you don't become as efficient as you could be. Um, you could get out of pain without ever having the viscera treated because I did that for four years before I really treated a lot of the viscera. Um, but yeah. it, it's been an important piece that I've added in over the, the last few years. And, and it's a piece that I find that not a lot of therapists get into. And so there's, there's a huge need for it. There's just not a market that, or it's not a widely known market at this point. Um, so people don't know to look for it. Sure. So, that, so that's the visceral work. Um, we can get more into the other work too, if you want, or we can move on. Yeah. Give us a little bit of a picture of that. Cause I think it's a part yeah. of who you are as a professional and I, I want to understand it. Yeah. So, so the Institute of physical art is really that paradigm is what shapes most of how I treat. So um, the way that they're different is that they, they take a patient and they'll look at a patient and say, okay, you're coming to me for let's, let's use the low back pain example again. Um, let's see how you're moving. And, and watch certain movements. And, and a lot of times, like I'll, I'll watch, say somebody walk and I'll say, okay, well, what's going on in that, that walk that might be, um, you know, contributing to what's going on in that, in that low back pain. Um, and, you know, in, in, in a conventional PT approach, uh, most of the treatments are what we would call mechanical, where they're going to go and fix something structural or, um, you know, try to correct something that's um, tightened up by stretching it. Um, so in, in the IPA's world, uh, the way we look at it is, is you have an issue. I need to know is, is there a mechanical issue? Is there something stuck? Is there something not moving well, whether that's bone, joint, nerve, viscera, um, muscle, um, or maybe there's an issue with the neuromuscular aspect of it. So you know, maybe everything's able to move well, but it's, but maybe the right muscles aren't firing when they're supposed to fire, or maybe you're weak here, or maybe the endurance is an issue. And, and that can lead to um, issues such as, uh, you know, low back pain in this case. Or thirdly, is there maybe a motor control issue? So maybe everything moves well, maybe everything fires like it needs to, you have the right strength, but not everything's working in synergy together. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the lens that I, I look at, um, people overall. Um, and then this role just kind of fits into that, uh, in a lot of ways. Wow. I'm so intrigued. Um, I definitely, and I work with, you know, we work with, um, some specialized physical therapists because of being sex therapists and work mm -hmm. with pelvic floor specialists. I don't know if I've ever heard a physical therapist talk about the body like that. Like it's such a treat. It's a, it feels so holistic um, and complex, which is uh, what we are oftentimes trying to bring into the space and the conversation. And so um, I'm, I am so intrigued. Um, yes. Yeah, so Jason, like as you and I were kind of running into each other um, again, uh, professionally, you know, um, Kimberly and I got really excited about bringing you onto the podcast because, you know, oftentimes our society, when we think about a person, 
Um, we, we're not thinking about the whole human being. We're not thinking holistically about ourselves um, as we're even like working through, you know, whatever showing up in our own bodies or our own minds and souls. And so part of what makes this conversation so important and unique is that we're bringing together um, not only the two separate disciplines that we practice in this conversation, but it's, it's two disciplines that are embracing the practice of a, a holistically seeing a person instead of these compartmentalized humans, um, which is, I, I think we want to do that as a society because it would make life simpler for us. Um, but it misses so much. And so um, we have a shared passion across our disciplines to help people really learn to listen and to, uh, to attend to themselves, mind, body, and soul. Uh, in our world, we use the words biopsychosocial spiritual approach, um, where we're attending to all of those facets and the different cases that we work with. Um, so you've told us a little bit about um your training. Um, I know in a previous conversation, you've kind of referenced this, referenced this idea of Western versus Eastern approach to the body and to medicine. Um, it does sound like your training tends to lean a little bit more into that Eastern approach. Um, tell me about that. Tell me how that's changed your practice as, as you've allowed that mindset to, to infiltrate what you do. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and going back to something you said, um, in our world, the biopsychosocial model exists as well. Um, and it's actually, and, and in a lot of, a lot of ways, gratefully in the PT world and, and not just my PT world, but the conventional mainstream PT world, mm -hmm. biopsychosocial has become a big, big topic, which is good because it really starts to consider the whole person. Um, and I think that looks probably different based on the therapist. Um, so as far as the Eastern versus Western, um, you know, I was, I was very blessed in the very beginning to have opportunities to learn from therapists that uh, viewed things differently, v going back all the way to um, really one of the professors at our school that taught um, therapy from this perspective, because uh, I didn't know it existed. Um, so had I gone anywhere else uh, or gone down any other path, you'd probably, probably be looking at a, a, a very conventional orthopedic PT. Um, and gratefully, that's not the case because we got plenty of those. Um, so, you know, I saw very early on that PT could look different. And, you know, I was able to see, um, you know, things treated that I would have never thought as a PT that I would treat, uh, or that mm -hmm. you would even think to treat. And, and so because I saw that, I knew that it could be done. Um, and that was very helpful to me in the beginning to, to kind of take a different path because I knew that this was, a can you give examples, Jason? Yeah. Like so, some of the things that you just didn't think were PT world and like, yeah. So, so I, I remember being on a rotation. I was up in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, which, uh, is a great place to be for a rotation. Um, but that, that's at the headquarters of where the Institute of Physical Art um, is and so they were treating. I remember um, the first time that I saw one of the therapists. Uh, there was a female patient in there um, having some low back and SI joint, sacroiliac joint pain. And um, the first, this was probably one of the first times I was exposed to the visceral work because um, they treated her uterus. And I thought, well, that makes perfect sense. Like that sits right in front of the sacrum. Why wouldn't we treat that? And I, I remember asking the therapist what were you thinking the first time you said, I'm going to go treat that woman's uterus? Um, and he said, 
you know, and this is a therapist now. He's been doing things for 50, 50 years. He's been practicing this way. Um, and he said, you know, I just, I was not getting the results I expected and I knew there was something more. And so I, I went home and I studied anatomy for a little bit and studied the anatomy of that area. And, and that was something that was right in that area. Um, and, you know, so, and that, you know, that thought process and that mindset got me thinking, you know, I'm going to figure stuff out. And if I don't have the answer, then I'm going to figure, I'm going to go look for the answer because there's a reason people come to us and there's a reason that they are hurting or there's a reason that they are struggling with what they're struggling with. And it's just a matter of figuring it out. And I'm not always going to be the person that they um, are going to get their answer from. But if, if there's something that I can do to help them, then I want to be able to do that. So that was one example. Um, But then also, uh, infertility was a big one. Um, well, and, and I've been able to be fortunate enough in, in my practice to have a few women that I've worked with this on there, um, especially get into the visceral work because I would have never thought infertility was something that I would treat. But in my personal life, that was something that we, my wife and I struggled with. Um, our first, our first kid, our daughter is, um, in a, a fertility baby. Uh, we did inseminations and, um, you know, I think a lot of our interests and this probably goes into other worlds as well. Um, a lot of our interests often come out of our personal experiences and, mm-hmm. and what happens in life. And, um, you know, I thought, you know, that I remember what that felt like to, um, to struggle in that area and what it was like on my wife. And I thought you know, if there is something that can be done, um, and, and and relatively easily in a lot of a lot of ways. I don't want to I don't want to downplay because it it's not an easy thing. It's very complex. But but you know if it's something like going and treating some of the the visceral structures that are causing a mechanical reason for infertility, and that doesn't involve a bunch of drugs and a bunch of procedures and timetables mm-hmm. and, and timing that. Like, why wouldn't we? Um, so those are those yeah. Are I was about to say it might not be easy, but it might be easy compared to fertility treatment. Right. I mean, that that is right. a very complicated, long, emotional, physically yes. draining experience for most couples. Yes. Um, so those are two two examples that come to mind, um, and and really that's where I started seeing the different approach and getting into some more. Like you said, we we were talking about the Eastern versus Western. Um, you know, I. It, it was really all I all I knew was that different approach to physical therapy because um, all of my mentors practiced that way. I surrounded myself with people that practiced that way, um, and so I actually had to learn to be better at the conventional approach, which was a ah. an interesting thing to have to do. Um, uh, but you know, the the visceral work is what really sh- catapulted me more into looking into the more Eastern work. And it's just, even, even now I I have a huge interest in functional medicine. Um, and a lot of functional medicine is, is based out of things that just aren't in the conventional world. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think that's where a lot of those interests come from. Absolutely. We actually, uh, Kimberly and I, right before the pandemic hit and by right before, I mean, we drove home to closures being announced in the state of Texas from this training. Um, it was wild, but we were in Austin and we, um, we got trained in a special EMDR protocol, which EMDR, um, people follow us. They know that eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, 
um, practice, but there's a special protocol in EMDR called the pain protocol. And it's actually for chronic pain and illness. Um, and, um, it, it's actually a harder training to get into because there's only to my knowledge, two people in the world that teach it. One guy's in Australia, one guy's out of Austin. Um, yay, Texas. Um, and, (laughs) and it was so interesting hearing him talk and he really, I mean, can speak to kind of the Western, um, traditional approach to the body and medicine, but there was so much about this pain protocol that was, um, rooted in some Eastern philosophy and approach to seeing things a little bit differently. And it was, I mean, that training has been life-changing for me. Um, in, in how we see the body and how we address it. So, um, I am so intrigued, um, by your training and your philosophy and your approach and your model. So that is awesome. As you talk, Jason, I'm, I'm aware that I think a lot of times with, within the spaces that Jen and I work, um, mental health counseling therapy, um, they're kind of expecting us to focus on emotions and thoughts and beliefs and relationships, um, and all these complex parts of their life. Um, and maybe I'm wrong. You'll have to correct me. But I would guess that a lot of society is not expecting a PT to be holistic, um, probably expecting them to focus on, you know, this part of their body and, and that alone. So I'm curious what it's like for you. What does it look like uh, when you're with your patients to practice from a holistic philosophy, if you can just kind of paint that picture for us, because um, it makes so much sense to me. Um, but I'm just curious, kind of in the, the the hands-on, the actual work of it for you, what that looks like. Yes. Um, yeah. So that was, I would say that's definitely a barrier that I work against at times. Um, so I've been, I've been doing this now for 13 years, and I've been in the Fort Worth area for probably nine of those years. And so that's helped to be in an area where you've kind of built a reputation. Um, And so these days, a lot of the patients I see are coming knowing that they're expecting something different. So that helps. Um, But there are still times that I see patients where, uh, you know, they're coming because of maybe an ankle sprain um, and they're expecting, you know, ankle sprain therapy looks a certain way and that's what I expect. And so I think, um, I think it comes down to that first visit, you really have to build the rapport. Um, and so how I am interacting with that patient, the questions even that I'm asking, um, oftentimes might take them deeper than just how'd you sprain your ankle? Okay. Um, like I want to know, is that the first ankle sprain you've had? Have you had other ankle sprains in the past? Because if you've had other ankle sprains in the past, we need to start digging into why do you keep spraining your ankle? Well, have you had hip issues in the past? Have you had a low back injury? Have you had a car accident? You're like, I ask questions like that that may not seem related to that ankle injury, but I try to circle back around. And, and as I'm asking those questions and I get those looks of, why are you asking that? I'm here for my ankle. You know, I try to connect the dots from, well, you know, sometimes you can have, uh, you know, a fall on your tailbone. And, and while, you know, you recovered from that, the pain's not there anymore. That, that probably left you tight up in the pelvis. And then now that changes the way you walk. Now, when you, when you're walking, you're putting your foot down differently than what you normally would have. And so now that might've made you more likely or more vulnerable to have that ankle sprain. So in order to fully recover and to get you to be as 
good and as, as efficient as you can, not only do we need to address this ankle issue that you're coming here with, but we really ought to start looking up the chain in a lot of ways at what are some of these past injuries that have left you more vulnerable? Because my goal, my goal is always yes to help the patient with what they're coming for, but also to help them to see that they have untapped potential to be even better than what uh, what they were before even just that injury. Um, and so sometimes you have to help patients see that a little bit more than others. Um, and so you know, so it starts there. It starts with how I'm, I'm interacting with them. And so once you once you start to trust me as a therapist, then we can start to work through some of that. So sometimes that takes more than the first visit. And that first visit, I am just going to work on that ankle, the place that is painful. And that's what you came here for. Because otherwise, you might not come back because you think that what's this guy working on my hip for? I said it was my ankle. Um, but then as we sure. <laughs> as we progress, then, you know, we start working through the ankle and it and it's so individualized uh, i mean every patient is different i mean i could have three ankle sprains and i can work three different uh protocols basically and, and not like a structured protocol but i could work three totally different approaches because of what those patients have been through and what their the history on their body is um so it really does vary um i mean i've had one patient i can remember she was coming for her ankle and i ended up working all the way at the upper part of her neck just because she was she happened she was a competitive Latin dancer. And so some of the positions she would put herself in, the, the upper part of her neck being tight really restricted her and changed the way she would shift weight onto her ankle. So that was something we had to address and look at. So so that's that's kind of a, a glimpse into how that might look. I am so fascinated as you are talking. <laughs> I'm thinking of all the things I need to come in and see you for. I'm like, okay, <laughs> this part of me hurts. This part of me hurts. <laughs> And, and, and that's the thing is, you know, every, anybody could walk in and there could be something that we can work on. And so it really comes down to what the patient's goals are, right? And so like most of the time they come because of pain. What I'd really like to see PT um, move to, and, and some of us are, but it's hard to do it um, in the system that's set up. But I'd really like to see more of a, a wellness approach brought into PT where it's, let's, let's just work through these things. So that way we prevent this from happening. You know, it's similar to, we go to a dentist, you know, once every six months to maintain our, our teeth health, or, um, you know, we go to, uh, uh, some people use chiropractors to kind of help them, um, stay healthy. So, you know, there's a lot that in the physical therapy world that we can offer to help prevent, um, or even just somebody that wants to be better at performance of whatever their activity um, is. And so I'd really like to, to see that happen more because there's a lot that can, I think, from a health standpoint that could be prevented that we're seeing a lot more of in the, um, you know, pain, chronic pain, autoimmune, things like that, that maybe could be helped. Out of curiosity, Jason, as you describe that, um, and I'm hearing more and more overlap between our worlds, um, and, and how we approach people and we're like, Hey, let's find the on-ramp to this. Let, let not just, not just be so symptom or acutely focused. Let's like figure out what's the bigger issue. Um, you do have to like cast a vision for the concept map of that. When people come in, I know Kimberly and I do that a lot. Like, Hey, this is not just this, this is probably this and this and this, and like, what do you want to do with it? Um, I'm probably, I'm going to stir the pot, but that's, you know, I'm an eight. Um, <laughs> We can do that a little bit more freely within client determination because we don't take insurance. 
I am curious with what you do, like how insurance impacts your world. And I am, and I'll add a second piece to that because, um, what I have observed over the last five or so years is that, you know, where insurance used to be really supportive of occupational and physical therapy specifically, I don't find that to be the case, even with people who have plans. So I, I'm just really curious how insurance impacts your work and like the vision that you are sort of presenting to the world that like PT could be more proactive. So much so that, um, with R3 physio, I am, I am considered an out of network clinic and I don't deal with the insurance. Um, because so you're not paneled. Is that like the correct right. way of saying that? Uh, yeah. I'm not in network or, you know, different terms, but, uh, and that's because, uh, largely because of that reason. Um, I have, have worked in insurance clinics. I mean, that was a, that was all I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why you had to learn the other way, right? Yeah. Yes. In a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, and it's been very beneficial to me. And so I can speak in, you know, in the insurance world to that is in that, you know, you have to be creative and you have to be very good at connecting the dots. And so if I'm going to go work on somebody's neck be, because they came to me from a for their foot, I better be able to connect the dots on why I'm doing that. Um, because if the insurance company comes back and says, well, they are coming to you for your, their foot and you're working on their neck, how are you justifying that? Um, and, and most of the time I, I could, I, you know, I, I would always joke with, um, as I would have physical therapy students that, you know, I, I can make a connection to almost anything, um, but it comes down to anatomy. A lot of it comes down to knowing your anatomy and knowing how things are connected and how things move together. But you know, with with R three physio, I didn't want that. I didn't want that hindrance on me. I I don't want to have to think. Okay, this insurance is going to only pay for this, and so we have to do this. Like I don't I don't want that barrier in between me and that that patient and their healing. Um, so you know and. Th- what I want to be able to do is this is what this patient needs and we're going to do that. And the patient can, I I give the patient everything that they need so they can go take it to the insurance if they want. But that way that takes the insurance out of the equation. Um, And there's starting to be more and more clinics that are doing that. Um, There's a, Mm -hmm. there's a few around the the Metroplex for sure. Um, And I think if more and more patients start to choose that, then we can start to change what the insurances are willing to cover. And, and I don't know if I'd want to go back into the insurance world if that was the case, but um, at least at least we can make it better for, for those mm-hmm. that are in there. Yeah, I think it's, um, again, I don't want to get sidetracked on it, but like it, your reasoning, a barrier between you and the patient or a barrier between you and the patient and the vision that you have for like their, Mm -hmm. their health or their healing is um, exactly why we're not in network with anybody. Um, Because uh, it's, it is really restrictive um, at times. So yeah, we kind of little rabbit trail there. Okay. So Mr. Expert on the body. um, What do you think our society and communities misunderstand the most about the body? I think it, it blows my mind that more people don't understand the interconnectedness of our body and not just the physical, but the spiritual and how that affects it, the emotional and how that affects it. Um, and it's something I'm always learning about, but most, most people in our society are very non self-aware. And so a lot of Mm -hmm. times the way that I ask my questions to patients or the way that I treat them 
part of what I'm hoping to gain is to help them to be more self-aware. So that way they can start to tap into what's going on in their body and start to feel that. And so, you know, there may be times that I ask them questions and they don't know the answers to it. And I'm okay with that. And I tell them, I don't expect you to know all these answers, but because I asked you that question, now next time you're going to be paying attention because you know that I'm going to ask you questions like that. And so, you know, getting people to be more aware um, would be would be really good. Um, I think it would really help a lot of a lot of things for people. But that one blows my mind is how unaware of our bodies as a society we are. Yeah, you talk about like, I've asked you a question. And now the next time you come back, you're gonna be thinking about that question. Um, In EMDR, there is a structured set of questions that we follow Mm -hmm. up each time when we're in the middle of reprocessing a target. And, um, and we actually teach and train uh, to a degree and in different styles, our clients to be thinking about those throughout the week. Like, what did you notice that was different? Mm -hmm. Um, Any changes to how you view yourself? Any new insights or thoughts? Just generally, you know, anything strike you. Um, dreams. We have we have them start paying attention. Like, do yeah. you have them? Do you not have them? Can you remember them? Are they generally bizarre? Are they disturbing? Are they weird? Are they great? Um, do you changes in behaviors and changes in symptoms? And we ask those questions every single time between yeah. EMDR reprocessing sessions. And it's funny, like my clients will come in with their phone and they're and they're like, okay, here's what I noticed since the last time I saw you. Here's how I dreamt. Like mm-hmm. I had all these dreams and, and they just start rolling through it. And it's, they always walk away, you know, at the end of their counseling journey going, I just notice more about yeah. myself, yeah. about my life. Like that increase in self-awareness is really powerful. So some of the therapy that it sounds like both, both of our disciplines do is just raising self-awareness. Yeah. Get, getting the patient to be more introspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, I actually enjoy when a patient journals and keeps, keeps, a notes. Uh, I have a patient right now that she keeps notes on her phone and she just kind of sends them to me through email, um, you know, once a week or so. And, and I told her, I said, this helps me because I can see what your body's going through. I said, I would rather have too much information and let me filter through that than to not have enough. Uh, cause it, mm. it you know, it, it helps direct me towards, okay, we need to address that or we need to look into that a little bit more. So I, I, I love when patients journal like that or, or keep those kinds of notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love how you're, you're inviting them into connecting to their whole experience, not just in mm-hmm. your office when they're engaging with you, but just almost trying to create this lifestyle of where am I in the world? Where's my body? Where's my brain? Yeah. How am I feeling? What am I noticing um, to pay attention? Cause I think so much, of the time we as humans are, are walking around asleep to certain parts of our experience, including our body. And it's, it's like you're inviting them to wake up and just notice and pay attention. And I can imagine your patients walk away with that that skill doesn't go away, right? Like they have right. that skill once they leave you and maybe they've done the work that they needed to with you and they will forever go, oh, okay, where am I feeling that? How's that going for me? And paying attention and um, just the power of awareness and being present and grounded in our own physical experience um, is is so powerful from what I hear you're describing. Yeah, absolutely. Incredibly powerful. The other thing you said, which I think is really interesting, and there's a huge overlap in our world again, um, Kimberly and I both specialize in uh, female sexual pain and penetration 
issues. Um, it's something that you and I have kind of sidelined about on other things and um, work with public floor specialists for that. It is actually a part of the focus of my dissertation work is connecting uh, a little bit more of some history and, and etiology with, with that because it's hard to understand. It's a very hard to understand issue. Um, but one of the things that you will see in the literature in um, those who specialize in it, we talk about this, but that the pelvic floor is an emotional muscle. <laughs> and so I'll say all humans to a great degree, but specifically in this argument, women are completely disconnected from it. They, they are not, they're not aware of what it's doing. Um, they, it definitely feels almost a hundred percent involuntary versus having some voluntary engagement of their pelvic floor. Um, and really it, it's such a mind boggling idea to them that the pelvic floor is an emotional muscle and that it's the quickest to move under fear and anxiety. And it's the like to contract and all of that. And the education around that, which I'm sure you could do much more brilliantly than I am right now, but it, it is mind boggling to them. And we, we sit in that information for a while um, when we're working on this issue and trying to tease out what's contributing uh, to their sexual challenges. Yes. Um, and, and I would say I, I work a great deal with with pelvic floor patients um, differently than a female therapist would. Um, uh-huh. You know, I don't do intravaginal work. Um, I do intrarectal work. Um, and it's always nice when I had a female therapist that treated the females and I could treat the males. And we just had that clear division line, which was nice. But, um, you know, there are a lot of great female pelvic floor therapists that um, treat the way that I do. Um, that can, uh-huh. that can really help a lot of that. But, um, so you were talking about pelvic floor and it being very emotional. Um, and it made me think of, so, so can I educate a little bit? Can I talk yes, about pelvic floor? Please. So, so one of the things, or one of the ways to look at this is our body has different compartments. So if we take our abdominal and our, our abdominal and pelvic cavity as one compartment, the pelvic floor is the bottom. The diaphragm's on the top, and then you have your abdominal muscles around it. And so that kind of creates this cylinder. And so all of those muscles have to be working in synergy together to create the increased pressure in the abdomen and the pelvis to create the stability that we have. And so when you get into pelvic floor issues, a lot of the times one of the issues is that pelvic floor is dysfunctional. And so the bottom of that cylinder, or if you think about it like a Coke can, the bottom of that can is not functioning. And so now you can't contract as well to create that that increased pressure um if we were to and that's just looking at it from from the diaphragm down if we took it and looked at the rest of the body the thoracic cavity so from the diaphragm up so your ribs uh, so from the diaphragm up to say the vocal cords is another uh, cavity and so that has a different pressure uh, and those, the pressure within the thoracic cavity is designed in a way that it should balance out the pressure in the abdominal cavity. So when everything's working well, you have this nice balance uh, in your body. Um, and then you could even go up and, and, and go be above the, uh, the vocal cords and get into the, to the cranium. And there's, and there's um, even just thinking of the brain, there's different membranes um, that actually can mirror what the pelvic floor does. So tentorium cerebelli is one of them. And so uh, every time we take a breath in, there's a movement in the tentorium cere- cerebelli, there's a movement in the pelvic floor. 
And so the reason I tell you all that is because there's so much more that can affect the pelvic floor and that the pelvic floor can affect. Um, so I guess, Kimberly, that kind of goes back to your question earlier about what does looking at a patient holistically look like for me? So because I know that I'm not addressing an intravaginal issue with a patient, I'm going to look at all that other stuff and say, mm. if you need the internal work, I will get you to where you need to go. But let's at least look at this stuff first. Um, because the pelvic floor can be a huge issue. And it's kind of one of those taboo areas, even in PT, that a lot a lot of people, even, even females, um, don't really want to talk about or have addressed. Um, yep. So I, yes, I would agree with that. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say probably, oh, I'm making up numbers, but just, it's my gut talking. I I think what 50% of our clients may come from the PT to us. So they've, they've, you know, they went to their doctor first, which is kind of the classic, you know, uh, journey, um, that can be very wounding, um, for Mm -hmm. sexual dysfunction. And then, but if they happen to get a decent to great one, uh, doctor feedback, then they typically end up in PT. Um, and then I would say about half of our clients come from, for PT, the other half mental health is the first stop because it's seen as a relationship issue, um, that's causing it. And they're typically our relational factors, or at least by the time they get to us that there are, um, and, um, and we are arm wrestling that, that set of, um, our client population to go see the PT. Cause it is just, it mm-hmm. is extremely uncomfortable for them to one, I am going to go talk about my genitals. Basically that's how they feel yeah, it is. Sure. And, um, and someone might touch those and, um, and we're going to do some manual work, like, like, you know, that, that myofascial work for, you know, however long the appointment is, that is a mind bender for many of our clients to, to consider doing that. Um, I also realized in this moment, I'm completely distracted by the fact that you said there's a part of the brain that mirrors the pelvic floor in its movement. I am so mind boggled. That is such cool piece of information for me. Yeah. Yeah. The, the brain is, is very fascinating to me. Um, it's something that I probably over the last few years have really gotten more into, um, you know, like the whole gut brain connection that that gets back into some of the visceral and, you know, inflammation in the gut is going to cause inflammation in the brain and vice versa. So, you know, patients like that have had concussions, um, you know, that's a big, uh, big topic in the sports medicine world right now, but, you know, it's starting to become a little bit bigger of an, of a topic in the, um, just the, the general PT world because of the chronic post-concussion, uh, syndrome that you can get. And, that and, and just as a side note, that's another um, patient that pelvic floor is a huge issue because of the concussion um, that, that can be affected. But um, so yeah, the brain is very fascinating to me, and and try, trying to meld that world with the world that I'm in. I was telling a student just the other day, the longer I've done this, do this, the more I realize really what we're doing. Even as we're working with the tissue, working with the joints, we're really working with the brain. We're when we put our hands on people, we're we're sending information to the brain and we're telling the brain to do something with that information. Um, so it, it, I, I really think that's a lot of what we're doing when we do the work we do. I'm curious, um, cause this is an area of research that has shown up in the mental health spaces specifically within trauma. Um, but the role of the vagus nerve, mm-hmm. um, in, in health and holistic health. And you, you mentioned it earlier, but just, you know, I can I can geek out on that conversation all day long because 
uh, several years ago when I was introduced to the concept of that nerve and, and where it runs mm-hmm. the body and, and just this powerful reality um, that exists inside of us. Um, and so I just, from your perspective as a PT, I'd just love to hear you talk about it a little bit. Okay. So yeah, let's geek out about it. Cause that's, um, yeah. So that's something that um, probably also over the last few years I've started um, working with more and learning more about. Um, so that gets us into the nervous system, right? And specifically the autonomic nervous system. And, and that has two parts, uh, you know, sympathetic and parasympathetic. And so, um, you, you both know this, but, um, you know, sympathetic, but our listeners may not. Yes. Right. So the sympathetic is that fight, flight, or freeze. Um, I've always learned it as fight or flight and I've heard recently fight, flight, or freeze. But really it's so true. Um, so that fight, fire, freeze, which is where probably most people spend their time. Um, and then the parasympathetic is the rest, digest, and heal. And so mm-hmm. in my world, when I'm dealing with patients with chronic issues, um, long-standing issues, that's something I've started um, over the last few years really looking at and considering is how is how is that playing into it? So, you know, it, it started with the visceral work because a lot of the um, abdominal viscera so your intestines, your stomach, um, you know, the, those are all innervated by the vagus nerve. And so the vagus nerve can be affected by what happens down there. And then that area can be affected by what happens with the vagus nerve. And so uh, one of the things that I've noticed probably over the last six months as I've, I've played a little bit more with treating the vagus nerve um, up in the cervical spine as it comes down to so it. It comes out of the cranium. It's one of the only cranial. There's two cranial nerves that come out of the cranium: that the the vagus nerve and the accessory nerve. Um, uh, other than you know the ones that stay up in the face and, and cranial area, those two come down into the cervical area. But the vagus nerve is the longest nerve in the body, um, and so it comes down out of the out of the uh, base of the skull, and then it wraps around to the front of our neck, and it and it goes through a sheath with the carotid artery and the jugular vein. And so that sheath is fascia. And so we were talking about how a lot of the structures we're treating earlier are are treating fascia. Well, that, when you think about, let's let's take an obvious one, a a whiplash, a car accident. When you think about a whiplash, those structures on the front of the neck are going to be affected. Vagus nerve can be one of those. Um, And so, you know, a big part of what I do with the vagus nerve at this point is look for those mechanical restrictions because let's say you have somebody that really has a hard time getting out of that sympathetic uh, state where they're just constantly in fight or flight. Um, it's it's very plausible that there's a mechanical issue at the vagus nerve that's making it harder for them to access the full potential of that vagus nerve. It doesn't mean the vagus nerve is not working. It just means maybe it's not working as efficiently because there's a structural issue. And so then you start treating those structural issues and now the body can start to kick in its healing mechanism that we're designed to have. And it's really all about helping the body to do what it was designed to do. Um, And so uh, I was treating a lady the other day um, that, you know, I was treating her for, uh, and she's very she's she's another PT that's very aware. Um, so she knew that there was some visceral stuff going on, but it was really manifesting kind of more at her neck and, and headaches. Um, but she had a big emotional history in the last few years, and so 
you know, one of the things we did was um, had her lying down and said, you know, close your eyes and just think about some of those emotional times where you feel um, some of those physical symptoms. And, and so as she did that, you know, I asked her, where do you feel that? And so she pointed down to about just underneath her clavicle, just underneath her collarbone. Um, and so we started, started kind of figuring out, okay, well, what's in that area? Thinking about the anatomy, what's in that area? Um, and a big part of it for her was as the vagus nerve was coming into uh, where it, it goes around the heart. And that's where she was very much restricted. And so we did some treatments to that, um, working through her neck and, and, and doing some visceral work as well along uh, with that. And, you know, for her, there was definitely some physical change as far as her emotion. Um, the emotional side of it, the anxiety, the emotion that comes with that, those are things that as a PT, I can't say I treat that. Um, but that's definitely mm-hmm. things that we see change a lot of the times when we treat that. I can't say that I'm going to treat your vagus nerve for your anxiety because that's not within my scope of practice. But mm-hmm. experience shows me that when you start freeing up some of those uh, restrictions, there are things that do seem to change in some of those areas. Um, so that's that's a little bit about the vagus nerve. Oh my gosh, I'm having so much fun geeking out right now. <laughs> Is this not a blast, Kimberly? Like, I am no, just I'm, like, ooh. <laughs> I, I'm sitting here thinking because, it, you know, our, our practice, Jason, and how collaborative we are. I'm thinking, I mean, you're... You're so in your wheelhouse and in your lane, which I so appreciate, but I'm mm-hmm. thinking, oh my gosh, I want my clients to come see you. They get in touch with the emotional reality of it and then come back to me and we just do this dance together because I oh, man. I think, um, again, the body and the emotions are, they're so interconnected and as you discover things, I think, I think about as I discover things in, in my room, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I would love them to come see you um, to be able to work out those structural, physical um, experiences inside of them where they're holding that and where it's problematic. And yes. Yeah. Well, and, and the flip side of that is oftentimes we need people like yourself because there are oftentimes with chronic pain. I can do a treatment and it do absolutely nothing. And then six months later, the same treatment will do so much more. And and the patient has to be at a place that they're ready for change or they're ready for that healing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a big part of that, I think, is working through the the emotions of it. And I've had patients that when they'd be on the table, we're treating and they have what what's called an emotional release, you know, and there was, there Mm -hmm. was an emotional memory tied to, um, that particular structure that I was working on. And, and that can be very healing, but you know, you, you don't go in looking for those, uh, at least not as a PT. I don't go in looking for where am I going to treat that might get this person to cry on this table right now. Like that, I, I, mean, mm-hmm. I, I want, I want them to have that healing, but they have to be in the place where they're ready for that. And, and so it really takes a team approach, right? So, um, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't do it by myself. Um, I need, you know, so many different team members around uh that i can say look you you would really benefit from going to see somebody like like jenna like kimberly or you know you really need somebody that's going to try to get more to the root of this health issue go see this functional medicine guy um Mm -hmm. so it really takes a team approach but oh yeah that multidisciplinary approach which i i think is growing in popularity i know it was a huge part of our sex therapy training I wouldn't even say it was a huge part of my trauma training. 
Um, I don't, I don't think that was emphasized. I think I've brought it into my trauma work from my sex therapy training, but I know that that concept is growing. I appreciate that it is. Um, I'm very thankful that it is, but every time I talk to somebody else who's multidisciplinary, every time I talk to somebody else who's holistic in their approach, I just get so excited that, and hopeful that the the world of healing and treatment is moving in that direction because I'm I'm just listening to the collaboration opportunities here and just getting super jazzed. So, Jason, I'm curious what you think um, the barriers and challenges are for just you know folks at large. You know, not not necessarily folks in our line of work, but. Um, how some of the biggest challenges to focusing on the body or physical health, um, some of those impact factors. I mean, what, what do you see as some of the barriers and, um, challenges, um, as, as you see folks and help them? That is a really good question. Um, you know, I think part of it would go back to what we were talking about earlier and realizing the interconnectedness of our body. Um, you know, and so when people don't understand that, you know, if we take it outside of the physical therapy world, you know, your cholesterol is high and your blood pressure is high, but there's a reason for that. It's, it's not just, oh, this is what happens. I'm going to go get on a blood pressure medicine. I'm going to get on a cholesterol medicine. You know, understanding that there's something going on in that, in your body that is leading to that. And, and I think the biggest barrier in those kinds of situations is patients being willing to seek that out and, to, and define that and not just go for well, there's a pill for that. So I'll just take the pill and I'll move on with life. Um, so, you know, I guess that would mean the quick fix is, is a barrier because people aren't willing to do the hard work of searching and, and, and doing that introspection and, and seeking out providers that maybe can give answers because it's hard these days, right? I mean, it's not uncommon for, you know, people to have seen five, six, 10, even in some cases, different types of practitioners or different doctors trying to get answers for what's going on. Um, and, and the medical system doesn't help them all the time. You know, it's, it's, it's not set up in a way that's really helpful um, in all cases like that, especially for chronic. I've heard it said often, um, you know, in America, we are really good at trauma. Like if you have a car accident, we are top notch at taking care of those injuries on the spot in, in the surgery and operating room. But when it comes to chronic pain and, cons- and and persistent pain and chronic conditions, autoimmune conditions, we are not at the top. Um, and so that would definitely be a barrier. It's just, it's just a person being willing to, to, to do the hard work of, of finding that answer and continuing the search. Yeah, I hear that. Um, it's so, yeah. Um, we're good at acuity, like high yeah. acuity, yeah. not so good at chronic long-term, I would say lifestyle changes. Mm-hmm. We, we like to treat symptoms. We don't really like yeah. to treat issues yeah. oftentimes. That's a good way to put it, lifestyle changes. That that's what the hard work is, is changing a lifestyle because it, it's uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and my family's been through that in, in a small way with, um, some things that are going on with, um, mainly my daughter, but even, even me, I, I've got some autoimmune stuff that I've had to change eating habits for we've, you know, and so it, it's hard work and it's a process. It's a, it's a journey. Um, and, you know, hopefully in the end, you know, the person will see 
the rewards that come from that in, in the form of health and better health and feeling better. Mm-hmm. But um, it does take, it does take work and, and patience. Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm in that bucket, Jason. I've got, I've got an autoimmune issue and uh, it's, it's one of the reasons I have been in the high risk category um, during the pandemic, but um, it is there. And there's so much grief that comes with that. I'm thinking about the mental health side of that. Um, I might argue that it is like a little bit it, traumatic, you know, to get, um, that type of diagnosis. Um, and then it is, it is a ton of work mm-hmm. to try to walk out of it. And the, and you don't get results quickly. We have to learn to rest instead of quit. We have mm-hmm. to learn to come up for air. Um, it's something that as trauma therapists, um, I would say sex therapists too. I mean, I'm sorry. Most, most of the sexual dysfunction that walks in our office is are not quick fixes. Um, and so it's like, Hey, when I feel like I have, I have therapy fatigue, I have, I mean, those are very real things too. Um, and so Mm -hmm. how do you come up for air and do rest that doesn't, um, invite us into like, I don't know, backsliding is such a harsh word, but it's what comes to mind for me where we don't go backwards, but we, we rest and maintain. And then we, we get after it again and try to take the next step in our journey. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, so much good there. With that being said, um, you know, what do you think, and I don't, I don't think we're going to know for a while because, you know, results and research and data and statistic comes out quite a bit after things are over, quote unquote, but what do you think the pandemic is going to cost people from your point of view in your world? I'm very, very curious. So that is a a good question. Um, I have treated two people that have been post-COVID that I know of. Um, But I know I have colleagues across the country that have, you know, that are in New York and that are in California that have treated more and and were part of an email group and they've been able to share some of the things that they're seeing. But, um, you know, from my world specifically, you know, we know that COVID affects the brain. Um, I mean, if it's affecting smell and taste, it's affecting cranial nerves. So very likely we're seeing inflammation in the brain would be my assumption. Um, and then, you know, at, at one point they were talking about, um, you know, especially in kids, how it was affecting multiple systems. And, um, you know, I, it's more than in the people that it affects to the degree that it affects them where they need more treatment. Um, I think it's, it, we're going to see some things like, you know, restrictions in some of the viscera. I mean, it's a respiratory illness. So the, the lining of the lungs, the pleura, there's going to be restrictions in that. Um, the one, the one guy that I'm thinking of right now that came in, he, he was actually having quite a bit of anxiety, crippling anxiety. Um, young guy in his early thirties that didn't really struggle with anxiety, but to the point like he could not drive because of the anxiety. Um, because and, of breathing. And that was a big part of it was he was still not able to get a big, a good deep breath. Um, and mm. so that was a big part of what we worked through was freeing up, you know, especially the rib cage to help him get better breathing, working through some of this where vagus nerve was a part of it for him. Just, just not put the anxiety aside just those restrictions affecting his breathing would be enough to cause the anxiety. Um, 
so, you know, I think there's definitely going to be some physical things. Um, we, you know, I've, other therapists have seen, you know, weaknesses in areas of the body that you wouldn't think would be affected. Um, some of the smaller muscles that are meant more for stability, like around the hip and the pelvis uh, being affected. And, and, you know, some of that may be the virus itself and, the, and, and what it does to the body, but some of it may be if they were hospitalized and just the fact that you were in a hospital bed mm-hmm. or if you were on a ventilator. Um, so there's definitely going to be some, some physical things. Um, but my biggest concern, the, the whole pandemic has been the mental health side of this. Um, the isolation, especially the kids. Um, cause, cause I have a five-year-old and, you know, everything shut down for him and he doesn't know what's going on. And we, we have seen that manifest in, in a lot of ways, especially anger, like just, just quick to, to, um, to become angry. And, um, you know, so I, I, I'm concerned that that's going to be more what we see even, even long after this is gone. Um, there's going to be some mental health, um, effects that we probably didn't know about. People don't even know what's going on. And just, I think that's going to be the biggest lasting effect Yeah, from a, from a health standpoint. Yeah. And I, um, I do echo that and I think it'll be, Gosh, I think about, um, and this is like way cookie cutter and it has some truth to it. And then there's, there's more to it, but I'm going to use it. When we think about when we go through like bereavement and loss of a human being, it, the grief doesn't really hit until like you're two months out of the funeral, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, we think about trauma and, and I think that dynamic will, will play out for us. So like when it really is over, whenever that's going to be, I think there's going to be this, like this coming down off of it that is going to be crippling emotionally and physically for some people. Um, I also think about the idea that we've just assigned trauma to like these really acute classic moments of like intensity, which are true, but this has been prolonged heightened stress that's been maintained over a long period of time um, that again, we will not see the results of until we come down off that stress, stress physically. Like when life really does go back to whatever normal is going to look like, I don't think we're going to know exactly how it shows up in our mental health. I think we can see things now. I don't think we're really going to know until that happens. And so I'm just like, as a mental health professional, a little bit holding my breath going, yeah, but we're not done yet. It's not done. And, and when that happens, that six months after that, that's what I'm going to be really interested in as a mental health, like this crashing that's going to happen emotionally and maybe physically. Um, and, um, and really getting acquainted with, with the impact for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Curious from your perspective, Jason, um, why we as humans, why we as maybe Western Americans have this compartmental perspective um, and this separateness with physical health and emotional health and why we compartmentalize those things and separate out. And I I, I say those two things, but I think we do it in a lot of different parts of our life. Um just, just curious on your thoughts. Why, why do we do that? What, what's keeping, keeping us so separate and disconnected? I don't know the answer to that. Um, you know, the first thing that popped in my head with um, what you were saying, as far as you know, the medical system is 
you know, there was a time where what we're calling Western medicine, which um, allopathic, um, I believe the term is allopathic medicine, um, is it really wasn't a thing. Um, and so there was more interconnectedness and, and the understanding that a lot of our um, systems are integrated and one affects the other. Um, and so, you know, when, when that new system, that new allopathic system was um, introduced, I think that's probably got to be part of it. And, you know, that's been long enough that the generations that are here today wouldn't have experienced a more integrative system um, unless they've sought that out. Um, so we we probably in, lar- in, in a large way don't know better. We don't know that there's another way. Um, and then and then I think too we we can be very arrogant with our medical system and say that Western medicine is the answer to all things, and it just isn't. Um, you know, and, and and then there's a lot of a lot of people that will say, you know, if I don't if I don't know about it, then it's not out there and you can't be helped. And and that's just not the thing, you know, not everybody knows everything about everything. And so, you know, I, I would have to think that that's got to be a part of it, but I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, Kimberly. That's a good question. We shall be on the hunt for the answer together. There you go. How's there that? You go. Yes. <laughs> yes. That sounds good. Jason. You are such a gift to our world. I mean, I knew that, but now I know that on like a much bigger level, like uh, like super big level. Um, so thankful that we reconnected and that you were willing to join us on the podcast. Um, thank you so much for your work and how you serve the community. Um, you are you are a brilliant, brilliant human being. Um, we close the show with the same two questions for our okay. guests. So, uh, first one is um two parts um or two phrases uh what would you like the audience to take away from our conversation and what do you want to leave them with um you know take away you know i think i think we've talked enough about how integrated and connected everything is in our body so i think that would be a good thing to take away is your body is very much connected and one thing affects another um, and then you know take away considering that you know, what you know the types of clients that you see and the types of patients that I see tend to be more chronic in nature I think what I'd want to leave them with is to to encourage them not to stop looking for answers because there can be healing out there and it may not always be complete healing this side of eternity you know but there there is potential for people to be better than what they are so it it takes work and it takes searching sometimes um, and sometimes that's years and so i would i would say let's let's leave people with permission to keep looking for answers i love that i do too Final question. What was your takeaway from our conversation and time together today? Um, I think like, like you, Gianna, um, and, and I think you mentioned it as well, Kimberly, just um, the more we have talked, the more I have understood how much our worlds professionally overlap. Um, you know, in previous conversations, talking more in depth about the EMDR um, 
approach that you guys use. Um, that that resonated a lot uh, mm. with me. So um, just just understanding that there is a huge overlap in in what I do and what you do. Awesome. Awesome. Again, Jason, thank you so much. Um, I know I have enjoyed our conversation so much, and I know our audience will as well, just hearing how we are complex. and um, But I love how you um, engage your work and, and how much of a gift you are um, to your own community and to us. And thank you again for your time today, and uh, we really appreciate you. So yeah, we'll definitely have to have you back. Yeah, I would, I would love that. I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. My brain is exploding right now. And I want more. <laughs> I want more. And I want so much more. So full of gratitude for that conversation um, with Jason and just, gosh, his ability to deep dive into um, this complex area of the body. So loved the conversation, loved his takeaways and what he gave our audience today. So I'm such a gift. Curious as we wrap up what your takeaway was from this conversation. Oh man, how can I limit it to like one thing? Um, I, in fact, I don't think I can, um, I have three things, but I'm an eight, so I challenge the rules. Um, and I'll go, I'll start with that one. This is the reason that you search for, and you find friends that are probably fives on the Enneagram. He did tell us that prior to starting because you go into that space and it's such a different experience, you know, um, you and I were talking, it's like you sit back with a hot cup of tea and you, you get into investigator mode with them and you just get to enjoy their mastery over information. So I just liked that. That was one of my takeaways. Find more five friends. That's, that's one of them. <laughs> I love it. Um, just so enjoy them. Uh, the other one, which I think is a little bit of like the easy one for probably both of us to acknowledge is like team these complex human realities get addressed better in team. Oh yeah. Um, he, like he is definitely on my team when it comes to clinical work. So, and I want the listeners to hear whether you're a clinician or you're, you're not like, I really believe most human challenges need a team. Mm-hmm. And so like, if you don't have that and you're facing whatever it is, I would just want the, the listeners to consider, is there someone on my medical team, mental health team, whatever it is, medicine team that like I'm missing? Am I missing a team member? Because um, each member plays a vital role. I was nerding out on these different cavities that like, and parts of the body that mimic each other. And I know I said this in an interview, but like my biggest takeaway is like, as the pelvic floor moves, there's this part of the brain that mirrors that. I am just so like, could have fallen out of my chair in that moment for like all the things I've read about the pelvic floor, like as a physiotherapist who has like gone into these extra postgraduate trainings and specializations, he is just I, I was so, I nerded out on that moment. So like, that's the biggest, like, I want to go know more about that now as a yeah. professional. Yeah, I know. Some of his 
physiological pieces of information were um, stunning to me. Um, what was your takeaway? The big, like your big takeaway? You know, I think at one, I love, he probably gave me a more complex conversation about the vagus nerve oh, yeah. than I've ever had with a colleague. And so that I appreciate. I mean, I think I, I hear a lot in our field about that's important. We should focus on that. It we does, should access the use of that. I'm thinking, okay, well, tell me more. And I feel like he walked us through that so well. Um, and kind of named like a specific physiological approach to using that, like it being constricted and maybe not being able to do its job. I never, oh yeah, never had anybody say that to me. Oh yeah. Um, and just as he, you know, to your point, revealed the complexity of responding to the human experience needs a team like your your body is its own team and oh, yeah. it's not incongruence oh good words you know yeah. it's not communicating um you know he talked about infertility and endometriosis and I think we just go to that one part of the body and how there's these other there's 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 counterbalance that's needed which I know is something mm-hmm. that you and I talk a lot about you know and so just the complexity of the human body. Um, and then just so aware that how we in our Western culture, we're just so compartmentalized. I know, don't do this part well. Is really pursuing in his specialty, in his lane of work, to allow the body to be its complex, beautiful self. And then when it's in lack, it, it's lacking in health, mm-hmm. to get it back there, which I think mm-hmm. one is a great model for physiological health, but just life in general. So yeah, so, so much that I learned today um, that I will forever take with me. Yeah, I'm thankful for this conversation. Thank you for joining us. Arable Podcast is hosted by Jenna Mountain and Kimberly Galindo. And edited and co-produced by Chris Vargas and hosted on Podbean. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Visit our website, arablepodcast.com and find Arable Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You can also find both of us on Facebook. You can find me, Kimberly Galindo, on Instagram at the Kimberly Galindo. And me, Jenna Mountain, on Instagram at the Jenna Mountain. 